It's 1208. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. All right. Let us get started. An update on two stories. You will remember you will remember the case of 29-year-old Amber Schmunk of Ozaki County. Um, according to the criminal complaint, on September 9th, Schmunk was picking up a plastic wading pool. She didn't think it would fit into her van. Okay, so you have a number of choices. You have bought, and, and believe me, I, I'm going through this on a regular basis now because I am in the process of, of moving and we're buying new furniture for the house we're moving to and things like that. So occasionally you get to situations where the thing that you purchase does not appear that it's going to fit into your vehicle. Now, there are different solutions that you can have. One is you can wait until you get get access to a bigger vehicle. Hey, you know, son-in-law's got a truck. He'll come out and help you out. You've got that. Or there is this thing called delivery where you can pay the store and they will bring it out to you. But those are generally the options. You either get a bigger vehicle or you have the thing delivered. But not 29-year-old Amber Schmuck. No, no, no. She didn't think this wading pool would fit into her van, so she put it on the roof. Okay, you know, that's it. You put the thing on the roof. Well, the problem, though, when you put it on the roof is that unless you secure it, fine, unless you secure it, it's going to perhaps fall off the roof, which you don't want. But she had a solution to that. She had her nine-year-old son ride on the roof to hold the pool in place during a drive to her sister's house. All right, I'm going to put the plastic wading pool on the roof, and I'm going to have my nine-year-old son sit on it. Now, I admit, I have not thought of that before. I, I You know, when, when we've gone over to the, the store and you've picked up that package that doesn't look like it's quite going to fit in the back, I, I have never, I can't exactly say, see, say, see saying to my wife, hun, it doesn't fit in the back here, so why don't we put it on the roof and you climb on top? and hold it down. Now, I admit, maybe I'm just not as creative, this woman, but it's never occurred to me. So that's what she does. She takes the plastic wading pool, she puts it on the top of the roof, and she has her nine-year-old son sit on top of it. Another driver reported, this is the way the story is being reported, another driver reported the unusual sight to Sockville police. Yeah, kind of like there's a woman driving down the street with a child on the top of a roof sitting on a wading pool, holding it down. All right. Two patrol cars stopped Schmunk a few minutes later after she had dropped the pool off at her sister's house on South Colonial Parkway. Schmunk told police her dad let her do things like that when she was nine. Here, hun, get on top of the roof. Let's go. All right. Um, She also said that she had her son strapped down on the top of the pool and that the roof ride only lasted 20 or 30 seconds before she moved her son back inside um, and wedged the pool in, too. The person who called 911 followed Schmunk for about a block before she stopped and took her son down from the roof. Police have now charged her with endangering safety. All right, now, so you, you get you get the picture here. So she shows up in Ozaki County Court the other day, and she ends up, you know, she wants to enter a plea of, of not guilty. Okay, well, that's fine. That's what typically happens. You know, the state has to prove people guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. This is what I love, though. And this is where, you know, it's one of the things. Attorneys have to do this stuff. But you wonder you wonder 
if they seriously believe it or not. Um, the attorney for this lady um, decided to do an interview after the court appearance. And here's what uh, she says. Her name is Rachel Bose. She says she told reporters she is very certain that throughout the trial process that the jurors will see Ms. Schmunk as I do, a very loving, selfless, and devoted mother. <laughs> oh, okay, that may all be true, but it doesn't change the fact that she put the kid on the roof of a car, strapped him down, holding a wading pool. Well, shes I'm sure they're going to see her as a loving, selfless, and devoted mother. That could all be true. Doesn't change the fact that, uh, again, <sighs> she's got the kid up on the roof of the car. Give me a break. She's entered a plea of not guilty. Next uh, step in the proceeding is January um, 16th or January 18th. That's update number one. Update number two, per my friend Steve Scafidi and colleague. Uh, last night, the Oak Creek School Board, and we talked about this during this segment of the program yesterday. The Oak Creek School Board, it's Oak Creek Franklin. They've got a little sliver of Franklin in there. Did something incredibly slimy. And there's just no two ways to describe it. Long story short, um, there is a limit on the amount of spending that school boards can do without going to a referendum. All right. Um, what some school boards have figured out how to – they don't want to go to a referendum because school boards don't want to have to, in many cases, justify their decisions to the great unwashed, meaning you taxpayers. And so what they do – there was an exception in the law which said if it's a project related to energy, you can go exceed the revenue caps. And the purpose behind this law, when it was originally put into effect in 2009 or 2010, was if you, if you have like an emergency heating situation, okay, the boiler has gone out and you need to spend $140,000 to put in a, a new boiler. All right, that, that's an energy thing. You can do it without having to go to referendum. That was the purpose. Pretty quickly, though, some sleazy school boards around here caught on that, well, what we can do is we'll spend whatever we want and we'll call it energy because there is an energy component to almost any sort of project. Uh, gee, we're going to build a – we're going to replace the old gym with a new gym, but we're going to put in you know more insulation. Therefore, that makes it energy. We're going to put in more efficient light. That makes it energy. And they were using this. Some school boards were using this in a way and an effort to get around the referendum law. All right. Well, what happened is this legislative session, the governor and the legislature recognizing that you had a lot of school boards that were trying to use this loophole to avoid Again, complying with revenue limits and referendum requirements, they, they did away with it. They said, okay, no more. This energy loophole, it, it's gone. But they made, the re, they made the retraction effective January 1st. So I believe, and I, I guess I stand to be corrected, but I, I believe the Oak Creek slash Franklin School Board is the only school board in the state that decided, all right, here's what let's do. Um, instead of simply going to a referendum, what we're going to do is we're going to try to rush through projects. We'll call them energy projects, and we'll try to get it through before the end of the year. These were projects that weren't specifically specified, um, and so the original proposal was let's spend $25 million, which would have actually cost $34 million by the time you got the interest in. Last night, I am told by a 6-to-1 vote, 
the members of the Oak Creek Franklin School Board went ahead and approved this slimy deal. Um, they cut it back to $17 million. Um, that's the that's the upfront cost. The actual interest cost, I think, is going to be more than that. But once again, in an effort to circumvent the law and screw over the taxpayers in the area, they rushed this through. I don't even know that they had specific projects. At least they didn't. Add, it was just, here, let's take this money. We've got all these potential needs. We'll figure out how to spend it. It was absolutely appalling. Every one of the six of seven members of the school board who voted for this should lose their jobs. And, you know, hopefully this will be an issue when the election comes up, um, because people who would do this to the taxpayers of their community, I just don't think deserve to be on a school board. It is appalling that people would do this. And again, I take no position on whether or not, you know, you need these different improvements or these things need to be made. It's just the process. If you want to go ahead and make the case that, hey, we need to have a referendum, we need to have more money for this, then make the case. Don't do it the way they did it. Shame, shame, shame on the losers of the week. I'm told the vote was six to one. The six members of the Oak Creek slash Franklin School Board who voted to essentially try to rush through this loophole before the loophole did away before the loophole disappears. It's not a moment to be proud of. And candidly, if you live in the Oak Creek Franklin School District, you should be appalled at the people you have chosen to represent you. It's twelve seventeen. Three big things coming up. President Trump. And the women accusers, where do we go from here? Stick around. 1220, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You can now listen to WTMJ on your Amazon device. From news and weather updates to the latest out of Lambeau, to your favorite show's podcast, that might be mine perhaps, and so much more. It's now available with the simple phrase, Alexa, open WTMJ. For more info and easy setup instructions, text the word Alexa, A-L-E-X-A, to 414-799-1620, or go online to WTMJ.com. It is very easy to set up. I did it. Um, so that tells you how easy it is. But uh, if you text us the word Alexa, A-L-E-X-A, we will send you the way that you do it. Very, very easy. All right. Three big things. Story number one. The, the sexual harassment issue comes back to the White House. Now, yesterday what happened was you had three women who had previously alleged that they had been sexually harassed by President Trump. These were not new allegations. These were three women who were featured in this documentary put out by a lefty filmmaker in, in November. And there are three of many. The thing is called something like 16 accusations against Trump or something like that. But it, it's been out for a few weeks. These are three women. And so these aren't new allegations. One woman alleged that women, woman alleged that he kissed her inappropriately. Uh, another kind of said he groped her. And the third was one of these women who was in the beauty pageant who said he'd, he'd come in into the back of the beauty pageant and he kind of ogled the women. Okay, those were were those three. These are not new stories. Again, they were around before the presidential election in November of last year. And so, you know, people obviously heard these and either didn't believe them or didn't think they were disqualifying. For, you know, you can draw your own conclusions as to why. But so now they're back out and a number of people, including these women, are demanding 
a congressional investigation into the behavior of now President Trump. So what happens then yesterday is there's a, a senator from New York. Her name is Kirsten Gillibrand, and she decides to wade into this as well. Um, you know, she talks about how she thinks that there should be a congressional investigation into these allegations against Trump, saying it's the right thing to do. These allegations should be investigated. They should be investigated thoroughly. It's the right thing to do, and I'm urging them to do that, as should their constituents. Okay, so she's saying she wants that investigation. President Trump, early this morning, um, responds with, uh, again, a Twitter, a tweet. And the tweet says, Lightweight Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, a total flunky for Charles E. Schumer, and someone who would come to my office begging for campaign contributions not so long ago, parens, and would do anything for them, close parens, is now in the ring fighting against Trump, the president wrote. Very disloyal to Bill and crooked. Used. Okay, that's it. And so now she's saying, well, this was sexually suggestive. Presumably the phrase that she would do anything for the campaign contributions. I guess that's what I assume that she's referring to. Um, and now you have a number of people who are saying, oh, this is Trump, you know, responding in a sexist and demeaning fashion. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Where do we go from here? Now, where do we go from here? Should there be a congressional investigation? Um, Again, this is not behavior which has occurred since he has been president. This is not new behavior as far as the allegations. It's been out there. The Trump campaign says these women are lying and denies it. Um, 414-799-1620. And then, of course, there's this whole other thing with the tweet. Well, it was sexist. It was demeaning. I, I Look, I mean, here's the bottom line. If you punch at President Trump, he is going to punch back. Look, I don't. I am not in a position to say that I disbelieve these various women. I I mean, I'm not. My guess is that a lot of what they're saying, to one degree or another, is probably true. That being said, I don't see that there's anything for Congress to investigate. Here's the deal. These were allegations that were out there before the election last November. People had an opportunity to hear them. And then they had an opportunity to decide that they either didn't believe these women or that it didn't matter. What is Congress going to accomplish by investigating President Trump? It's not like it's behavior that took place when he was in the White House. If these women want redress, what they should do, to the extent they have the opportunity, if they think they've got legal cases, if they think they've got lawsuits, they should file the lawsuits. They should sue President Trump. Um, if they think that he engaged in criminal activity, well, they should go to the respective district attorneys and try to, you know, go the Bill Cosby route. Say, hey, we, we want criminal action. But a congressional investigation, I don't think, is warranted. 414-799-1620. Where do we go from here with this? It's 1226. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. 1228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, where, where do we go from here? And and look, I, I'm not going to defend President Trump for one minute against these allegations of, of harassment. Candidly, after listening to the Access Hollywood tape and having followed President Trump's career when he was Donald Trump developer, 
I have no doubt in my mind that a lot of this conduct that these women are complaining about um, probably did, in fact, occur. Having said all that, this is not newly discovered evidence, as us lawyers would say. This is These were allegations that were out there a year ago. People had a chance to consider them, and for whatever reasons, you know, they, again, either didn't believe the women or didn't think it mattered or thought that President Trump was still a superior choice to Hillary Clinton. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The idea of calling for a congressional investigation, I think, is nothing short of ridiculous. There's nothing for Congress to investigate. It's not like this is behavior that occurred after he became the, the president, and it's not like there's anything here that would lead to an impeachable offense. If these women want to pursue justice, they have opportunities. If there's a civil lawsuit within the statute of limitations for them to file, they can file a statute. Of, they can file a lawsuit. If they believe that there's been a crime committed, again, whatever the statute of limitations are, they can go to their respective district attorneys or federal assistant U.S. attorneys, and, and they can say, hey, we, we want to bring these type of claims. That is where their redress is. It is not a congressional investigation. All right, let's see. Our text line is exploding with this. I recall the president promising to sue all these horrible women well yeah he actually probably did do that and again i if i were the president if i were on the president if i were the president i'd kind of like let this whole thing kind of go but um the idea that hey we need a congressional investigation no you you don't you you don't um, and it's not going to change any opinion. And how is Congress going to decide? Is it true or is it not true? And again, I, I probably tend to believe that most of this stuff probably happened. But where does that get us? Does it get the president impeached? No. People knew it before they voted for him and they voted for him anyways. It's 1236. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Diane Jansen, J.J. Watt, Joe Thomas, Susie Favor-Hamilton, all phenomenal athletes and all from the Badger State. But who's the best that our state has ever had to offer? Hmm. Greg Matzik shares his top five and wants to hear yours tonight on Sports Central at 7.07. number of people are texting or saying, oh, we, we need to have a congressional investigation because you need to get Donald Trump under oath. And, and then, then if he lies, then you've got an impeachable offense. It's perjury. Well, okay, President Trump isn't – Congress can't compel – the president to testify. Um, you have these separate branches of government. President Trump isn't going to show up on Capitol Hill and testify in front of Congress on an issue like this. This is all, I mean, look, here, here, here's the bottom line. And I, I start off by saying I don't doubt that I believe that many of these women, something happened to them. Is it the extent that they say exactly? I don't know about that. But my guess is that their stories are essentially true. But the, the idea of having a congressional investigation, all that would be is kind of a dog and pony show to try to embarrass the president. That doesn't lead anywhere. If they really want their day in court, well, file lawsuits. And once he stops being president, those lawsuits can proceed. All right. Big story number two. Today is finally, finally, Election Day in Alabama. Let's review the bidding quickly. Alabama is an overwhelmingly Republican state. This election should not have been close. This should have been an election where the Republican wins the seat with 65 to 70 percent of the vote. That's where it should be. This is the seat that Jeff Sessions 
gave up. He'd had it for years and years to become the attorney general, a decision that he is probably regretting to this day. President Trump appointed an, well, actually, I think it was the governor with Trump's blessing, appointed an interim senator. That senator was a guy named Luther Strange. Trump supporter, solid conservative. All right. In the primary election, Luther Strange got a challenge from this Roy Moore. Roy Moore is the former state Supreme Court justice who was tossed off the bench twice in Alabama for refusing to follow the law. He is, and I've described him before, he's got kooky ideas on a lot of stuff. He, he, he just does. And the, believe me, there, there are people on the left that have kooky ideas on things, like Gwen Moore. And then there's people on the right that have kooky ideas. And Roy Moore, in my opinion, is a guy that has kooky ideas. He was backed by the kind of flamethrower, let's start a civil war within the Republican Party branch led by Steve Bannon, and he, he won the Republican nomination. Well, it's subsequently come out that um, two underage women, say, 40 years ago, he groped them. But the overall pattern is when he was in his 30s, you know, he apparently liked to try to date or strike up friendships with teenage girls, which I have described as being weird. Roy Moore is probably the only guy in the state of Alabama if he loses, he's the only Republican who could lose this race, but but he may very well lose the race. Now, here's the rub. If he loses, well, the majority of the Republicans have in the U.S. Senate shrinks to 51, essentially 49. There's a couple independents of caucus with the, the uh, Democrats, so it makes it more difficult to get stuff through. That's what happens if he loses. If he wins... The Republicans continue with their 52-48 seat majority. But, and this is an important, but Roy Moore, a tragically flawed candidate, is then going to be an electoral albatross that hangs around the necks of the Republicans. Every Republican running for office next year, if Roy Moore wins, will be saddled with the, hey, the Republican Party is soft on sexual harassment. We're Democrats. Look what happened. We forced Al Franken out. We forced uh, John Conyers to resign. Republicans, Roy Moore, you know, you. this is the face of your party. Look at all these different allegations that are there. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have no clue who is going to win in Alabama. Polls are all over the map. The the poll by Fox News yesterday had the Democrat up by 10. Most of the recent polls have Roy Moore winning. But the question becomes, what do you want to see happen? Do you want to see Roy Moore win or do you want to see Roy Moore lose? And I will tell you, for a number of reasons, I will not be unhappy at all. If when the polls close and the numbers are counted, I will not be unhappy at all if Roy Moore loses. 414-799-1620. I will explain why and let's discuss. Do you want to see him win or do you want to see him lose tonight? If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's 1241. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1243, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Do the Packers now have a legitimate shot at the playoffs? Voice of the Packers, Wayne Larrabee, joins John McCure with some perspective. That's at 320 today on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. 
Be sure and check that out. Okay, 414-799-1620. I understand that this is heresy, perhaps also coming from a conservative pundit, but I have to tell you, I, I think on so many different levels, things will be better if Roy Moore loses today in Alabama. Well, Jeff, that's going to reduce the Republican majority. Yes, it will, short term. But there is a, a long game here. Um, I think even with the controversial President Trump in office, that the reality is Republicans, because they are defending so many fewer seats, Republicans are poised to continue to take control of the U.S. Senate, uh, retain control of the U.S. Senate next November, unless they really, really, really screw up. All right, first of all, I think from a political perspective, if Roy Moore wins, like I was saying earlier, he is going to be a political albatross on Republicans running all across the country next year. That is a bad thing for trying to retain control of the House and also retain control of the Senate. That's number one. Number two, if Roy Moore wins, that will then obviously, and I mean, I talked to Ron Johnson, Senator Johnson beforehand, at least a couple of weeks ago, he was one of many people saying, well, we have really grave concerns about, you know, whether or not he is appropriate to be in the Senate. And, and we're going to we anticipate that there will be an ethics committee hearing to decide whether you seat him or not. That, in many respects, is the last thing that anybody needs, drawing this out for you know a- another few months and distracting from the more important things that need to be done. So that's, my, that's number two. Number three, and here's perhaps the largest thing. I understand that he is a Republican, and I understand that he is conservative, but as I said earlier, he's a kook. He, he, he's a kook. And just because you're conservative or Republican, if you're a kook, I, I don't know that we need to say, all right, just because you've got an R you know, behind your name, you know, we're going to automatically embrace you. And he's had wacky positions for years and years. And the truth of the matter is there's a lot of Republicans in the Senate who are very uncomfortable with having him in the Senate with them because, did I mention, he's a kook. And let me give you one other reason, a a fourth reason here. I I think, and, and I've noticed this over the last six or seven years, you have had situations and incidents where, the Republican Party kind of loses its mind. You saw that in Nevada seven years ago with Harry Reid, where Republicans nominate the only Republican in Nevada who couldn't beat Harry Reid, and she can't beat Harry Reid. This character, Steve Bannon, who's traveling around the country trying to, again, incite a civil war, well, maybe maybe Republicans in other places will learn that if you get into bed with some of these folks, there are consequences. And those consequences are, you know, you, you get candidates who are not just controversial, but subpar candidates. As Republicans, you want to do better. You want to do better than somebody like Roy Moore. And... and and this idea that you're going to have, again, outsiders that are going to come in and try to, all right, we're going to throw our money around and we're going to pick some fringe candidate to, again, inspire a Republican civil war. For all those reasons, you know, moving forward, I continue to believe that if Roy Moore loses today, it might be the very, very best thing that could happen to the Republican Party because Roy Moore Roy Moore will be then become an historical footnote as opposed to the poster child for every Democrat who runs in 2016. Okay, here's some of our text. Need the win. 
Don't seat the albatross. If he does, um, he'll be like black mold and never go away. So, all right, well, maybe, but, I mean, I don't know that you can say to the Senate, don't seat him, but if the voters of Alabama select him, I think they're going to have a lot of trouble not seating him. Dave in Appleton. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Jeff, you're exactly right. It's the long game. We've been playing the long game for six years. We got a Republican Congress, and then we couldn't do anything because we didn't have a Republican Senate. Then we got a Republican Senate, and they pissed and moaned that they couldn't do anything because we didn't have the presidency. Then Donald Trump gets elected. They should have had repeal Obamacare, tax, everything ready to go on his desk January 22nd of this year when he got elected. That was the long game. This is why people like Steve Bannon and Roy Moore are giving support is because we're upset that we've been playing the long game and you know, guys like John McCain, Jeff Falk, all these other rhinos, whatever you want to call them, that promise they're going to vote one way and then don't do it when they have the opportunity that, oh, gee, Trump will actually sign it. Well, but, but let's look in Alabama. Okay, Luther Strange was the Trump-selected candidate, a very conservative guy, but not a kook. And then you have Bannon come in and try to play kingmaker down there, and you get a candidate like Roy Moore. Now, Dave, would you agree with me that he's, if you don't want to use the word kook, that he, he's an oddball, inferior candidate? Yes. Okay. I, I will give you that. But this is where the frustration of people like me for the last six years is coming from. Yep. No, and, I, and I vote I, for him. Would I vote for him just to have a Republican in the Senate? Yes, I'd vote for him just to have a Republican in the Senate. I'm frustrated to that point. All right, well, I, I, I get it. I mean, right, I mean, and, and a lot of people are a lot of people are, are saying that again. I, but I don't apologize for this long game type of of, of scenario. I, I think that you have to think. You have to think big picture. And I understand that there is frustration. I'm all about trying to build the Republican majority because the truth of the matter is if you had more than 52 senators, you know, then then you wouldn't have to worry as much about the, you know, um, the, the Murkowskis and the Snows of the world you, you, or the John McCains. You, you'd have more flexibility. That's why I'm all about trying to build majorities instead of. Okay, just see if we can hang on. And I'm telling you, I think big picture, Roy Moore makes that more difficult. But again, on principle as well, I just, with all due respect, I, this guy, he, he's just, I don't think he's fit to be a, in, a, in the U.S. Senate. Um, he's got extremist views about many things. This is a guy who got tossed off of the Alabama Supreme Court twice, once over a flap on the Ten Commandments monument. And the Ten Commandments monument in, in the courthouse. The law, you can disagree with the law, but the law says it has to be taken out. He refuses to follow the law. Well, okay, for those of us who are conservatives, when we see some lefty activist judge do that, we go ballistic. But because it's the Ten Commandments monument, um, you, you say, okay, well, no, Roy Moore is a religious man of the people. Well, you can't have it both ways. Again, I'm not in a position of, 
of making a prediction on this. I don't think anybody does. I was stunned, candidly, when they said they think voter turnout's only going to be about 25%. You would think with all this attention that lots and lots of people are going to turn out. I don't know how the election's going to go. And candidly, if voter turnout is only 25%, none of the pollsters are going to be able to tell you with any reliability what's going to happen. But if Roy Moore loses tonight... I'm not going to be one of these guys who's going to be crying in my beer. It's 1253. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Yeah, for, first of all, you know, there is, in the stories that Eric just told you about, there's, first of all, you have a little three-year-old girl who is in a stolen car, and they found the car. They have not found the girl, and there is a search going on. We'll continue to keep you updated about that. Um, that's the, obviously, in many respects, in real life, that's the more significant story. But then you have th- this other story that's there, and Aaron just and Aaron and Eric just told you about this. Uh, there's no officially released word on the package, but let me let me share with you what we have up on WTMJ.com. There's no officially released word on whether the Green Bay Packers, all-world starting quarterback, will play Sunday against Carolina. A report, however, says that a philosophical difference between the quarterback and his team's medical staff could be the reason why. Ian Rappaport of NFL.com says Rodgers' broken collarbone from a mid-October tackle by Anthony Barr of Minnesota isn't fully healed, and there was no chance it was going to be after two months. That status, which apparently was expected after two months of rehab, is sparking debate. This is what Rappaport's report says. Aaron Rodgers wants to play very, very badly. Other, more medically conservative voices are weighing in with caution and questions about risk versus reward. Those conservative voices, according to Rappaport, are from the team's medical staff who are concerned for Rodgers' long-term health. Rodgers, ever the competitor, reportedly wants in immediately... And then what will the answer be? Stay tuned. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Feel free to disagree with me on this, um, but, but, but here is the reality uh, of this. I am as big a Packers fan as anybody, and I, I just the idea of them making the playoffs is I, – I just – I would love that. But here's, here is the reality. Aaron Rodgers – you know, is an all-world quarterback, as we say in that report. And if you don't understand what Aaron Rodgers means to the Packers, you haven't been watching the, the last eight games. Aaron Rodgers has, well, X number of years left to be a, a world-class competitor. I think to do anything at this point which would risk his long-term future simply to get him to play in a couple of games, I think would be foolish. I'm sure he wants to play. I'm sure he feels great or thinks he feels great. But if that collarbone isn't fully healed, I think it would be insane. Yes, that is my word, insane, to put him on on the field, especially given the fact that the Packers' playoff chances right now are, are kind of iffy at best. Even if they come in and win three more games, they're still need, going to need a lot of help. And also, I don't know, 
but even with Aaron Rodgers, does this look like a Super Bowl team to you? It, it doesn't necessarily to me this year. Don't mean to be too cynical, and you know who knows what happens. But at the same time, this doesn't look like a Super Bowl caliber team to me right now. Why would you risk Aaron Rodgers? And if the doctors, and I understand the doctors, you know, that's part of their role is to be conservative about this. But if they have hesitations about that bone being healed, I think this is one where you say, Aaron, I know you want to play, but you know what? Uh, we're th- This isn't the time. Big picture. And again, uh, what we're talking about is the long game. The long game is we don't want to do anything that is going to jeopardize your career. 414-799-1620. We're going to take a break for the news. When we come back, that's what we're going to pick up on. 109, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. First of all, the good news is that the girl was found. Um, Father filing a false abduction report. He has been arrested. Good news is the child has been found. All right, the questionable news has to do from the world with the world of sports. Look, I'm not one of the sports central guys. You know, they know the ins and outs and the O's and X's better. But I am a practical guy, and I'm a huge Packers fan. Um, this could have been a special season. The beginning of the year, I think um, I, together with a lot of people, thought that the Packers had a realistic chance of making the Super Bowl. Wouldn't that have been cool? Well, it turns out that I, I think maybe a lot of us overrated how good the team was in general and after Aaron Rodgers got hurt eight weeks ago I think you saw a lot of the flaws in this team they've gone three and five since then right now they sit at seven and six and to to make the playoffs they need to win their last three games which are on the road against Carolina and on the road against Detroit and at home against Minnesota and Carolina and Minnesota in particular two very very good team. So the idea that you could run the table, that's going to be a tough challenge to begin with. Um, on top of that, even if they go 10-6, and six, there's no guarantee that they're going to make the playoffs because they, they need a lot of other stuff. They need another a lot of other stuff to break just right for them. All right, so Aaron Rodgers is eligible to come back. There have been the reports about how he's been running the scout team and he's been throwing well. Well, the report uh, from Ian Rappaport with NFL Network is suggesting that there's a dispute in the medical community, and that is that the doctors are looking at all these scans, and what they're saying is that um, Aaron Rodgers is not fully healed. And because of the nature of this injury to his collarbone, he's not fully healed, and they are very, very concerned about the risk versus the reward Um, They're concerned about his long-term health. The flip side is Aaron Rodgers, a competitor who probably has been killing him to not play for the last couple months. Rodgers, they're saying, wants to play. 414-799-1620. Look, here's my perspective on this. If there, and I, I understand football is a violent game, and there's no guarantee that, you know, Aaron Rodgers, you put him on the field tomorrow and he doesn't take a hit to his knee or something and he's out again. I, I get all that, and I understand football players play through the pain, they throw, play through hurt. Aaron Rodgers, though, in my opinion, is not your typical football player. Aaron Rodgers is a, a world-class quarterback. He's the type of guy who, if he's healthy, he makes or breaks a season. He might be the best quarterback ever, and I'm sure he wants to play. But I guess, and feel free to disagree, my take on this is, unless he's, and I understand at this time of the year, nobody's 100% healthy. Everybody gets nicked up. But unless that broken bone is completely healed, 
I think it would be absurd to put him out on the field at this point in time. And here's the long-term concern. I got a text from somebody who says, hey, Jeff, well, what's the big deal? You know, he breaks it again. He's got the offseason to recover. Well, that's not necessarily how bones, you know, work. You're talking about the collarbone in your right shoulder, your throwing shoulder. And my guess is you break it once, it heals. You come back and it's not ready and you break it again. Maybe the damage is going to be more severe. Maybe you're looking at something that potentially could be career threatening. And I guess I just don't think you do that with your franchise quarterback, especially given the fact that if we were realistic, um, this just doesn't look like at this stage, you know, a Super Bowl team to me. 414-799-1620. All right, but let's tee this up. I mean, he apparently wants to play. The doctors have their doubts. At best, they're not going to give him a clean bill of health. What would you do? I wouldn't chance it. Let's start with Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. I agree with you completely. I think uh, sit Aaron Rodgers out for the rest of the year. Even if he plays, there's a very slim chance of everything else falling into place. Why risk a $30 million man for a swim chance of getting in, rest them up for next year, and go for next year? They're not going to make it anyway this year. Yeah, I mean, and I guess especially if if potentially, you know, re-injuring this shoulder or going out before you're ready could could hurt his ability to maybe play or play at a high level next year or for the rest of his career. I mean, I, I, I it just it seems to me that this is this isn't playing with Knicks. This is playing, you know, before you're ready if you've got a broken bone and and maybe maybe if it's you or me, Mike, you you, you take that risk, but not with a guy like Aaron Rodgers. I wouldn't take the risk either way. Right. Thank, thanks well, for, no, thanks for call. 414-799-1620. Uh, let's see, Ryan. Let him sit out. Even with Rodgers, they might lose all three. It took overtime to beat two weak teams. The defense is a joke. I hope the Packers tool retool for next year. Um, yes, Bill says, the team is not good enough to go that far. Sit him until he is 100%. Now, another text says, there's no guarantee he won't get hurt the first game next year. Right, I, I understand that. That's always a, a potential. But if you bring somebody back before a significant injury is fully healed, to me, you risk, you have a greater risk of re-injury. And when you're talking about things like collarbones, well, okay, you know, you bust that collarbone again, maybe then it's really, really going to be weak. Don't you want to let it heal entirely? 414-799-1620. Um, let's see. I wouldn't imagine that taking another hit on the clavicle with 13 screws will fare well. I'm willing to bet that the bone would outright shatter. Long-term success over short-term risks. Let him practice fully but no gameplay. I guess to me that makes sense. Uh, let's see, another text. It would be smart to sit in, but if you do that, you may upset Rodgers. Let him play if he wants to risk it. Okay, so you tried him out You tried him out to play in a Carolina game, and he ends up injuring himself. Uh, man, I tell you, there, there's going to be a lot of second-guessers. 414-799-1620, Junior in Menominee Falls. Hello. Hi, Jeff. What do you I think? Because I'm getting a little frustrated. I haven't heard you mention anything. You say he's a world-class quarterback, which he is. One thing you're forgetting is they're going to derive a game plan around his injury. Short throws, quick releases. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is smart enough to know that I can't take a big hit. He's going to get the ball off, throw it out of bounds. They're going to run him out to the right, run him out to the left. 
the odds of him taking a hit just like that, again, are slim to begin with, but the whole game plan would be derived around that injury not happening again. So with that said, I'd just like to hear what you have to say about that. Okay, Jeff? Well, thanks. I, well thanks, Junior. I I guess I don't agree. I mean, yes, I, I understand that the game plan is probably – Okay, we, we don't want to get, we don't want to have him get hit. I, I mean, understand that's how you draw it up. But the problem is you've got really good defenses on the other side for Minnesota and and in Carolina who don't care what your game plan is going to be, and so you're going to be blitzing. I mean, I guess the, the point is you you can you can game plan all you want around it, but if you have somebody like Rogers who is such a valuable commodity and that particular bone isn't healed properly. At this point in the season, it's like, you know, why? I guess I look at it and say, why take the risk? I mean, seriously, why why take the risk at this point? If if the doctors, look, now if the doctors would say, look, if, all right, you, you go out and you play with this broken collarbone, even though it's not 100% healed, and if you break it again, it's going to be no big deal. All right. Well, if they would say that, but I don't get the sense that that's what they're saying. I get the sense that they're like, oh, we have this long-term concern, and you know, it's not like you've got a dislocated little finger, and you know, we can pop it back in. It's like, hey, if you take another big hit before this thing is fully healed, um, chances are that maybe you're going to make this even worse and potentially, you know, jeopardize your career. I mean, I don't mean to be extreme about this, but. Um, my, my goodness, I think at this point in time, it's, it's again, you want to be safe, not sorry. And I understand there's a lot of people who are, I'm a huge Packer fan. Don't, don't, look, I went to that Baltimore game. It was one of the most excruciating things to watch the quarterback they had, you know, Hundley, Brett Hundley, just stink up the place. That was an excruciating game. I kept thinking, boy, if Aaron Rodgers would have been here, this would have been such a much better game, and they would have won probably handily. So, I mean, I understand with Brett Hundley in there, the season is pretty much lost. That is just the reality. There's not another Aaron Rodgers around, and Brett Hundley sure isn't that guy regardless. But at the same time, I also look at the rest of the team and the defense, and does anybody really think that that the Packers are an elite team this year? Why risk it? Why risk it? Mark in New Berlin. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Well, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. I kept this in a more um, uh, financial way. Let's say he comes back early and does end his career. Now, he wants to play another 10 years at roughly $30 million a year. That's $300 million. Yep. I mean... I mean, you know, that's why the that's why those college players don't play in bowl games. They don't want to get hurt before the pros and end their career. I mean, he wants to play ten more years, and even if he sits on the bench the last five, I mean, he's going to lose a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, and, and it, right. I mean, now I'm not sure. I'm, my guess is he's probably done really, really well and has probably more money than he can spend. But yeah, I mean, it, he's a valuable commodity. And and from the perspective of of the Packers, Mark, too. Let, let's let's look at the Packers. The Packers. Every year with Aaron Rodgers can be serious Super Bowl contenders. They will be next year. They will be the year after that. They will be for the foreseeable future. Why Why would you risk it given where we are this season? It just doesn't make any sense to me. And I mean, I'm sure. Plus, you know, the, the doctors, by their nature, remember when that, that, that 
tight end bust that Martellus Bennett, you know, left and he was complaining about how the doctors, you know, pushed, they pushed me to play, you know, when I had a shoulder injury or whatever. And then he signs with New England and he plays a couple weeks later. I mean, I, I think, and, and all the players were saying, look, that's not what the Green Bay medical staff is. The Green Bay medical staff, I, I, again, very, very conservative, but I think that's, I think that's what you want. Okay, let's see. Jamie and Muskego writes, if the rest of the team was playoff quality and we had a real shot at the season, I would say go for it, but that's not the reality. Sit Rogers and be safe. Um, yeah. Um, now that Kyle and Wauwatosa, after the Martellus Bennett fiasco, the Packers organization really needs to be careful how they take this one. Um, yes. Then Joy, Jeff, quit knocking Brett unless you can do better. No, I can't do better, but I'm not trying to do better. He sucks as a quarterback. Uh, yep, he, he just did. I was at that Baltimore game, and the truth of the matter is, maybe his backup go, he's okay. But he's no Aaron Rodgers, and the Packers aren't going anywhere with him. And you can make an argument that even Aaron Rodgers might not be good enough to get him to the Super Bowl this year, and you talk to Ted Thompson about that. All right, time will tell, but the report's out there. Apparently a conflict. Everybody was hoping that the doctors would say, oh, this is great. It's eight weeks. It's all healed. It's safe to go out and play. Um, doctors apparently are not saying that, which now means it's going to be a tough, tough decision. I hope Rogers is healed. But if it were up to me, I wouldn't put him out on the field one minute before he is fully healed. I understand players play with aches and pains, but a broken collarbone is different. It's 122. This is Jeff Wagner. 125, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I love that text. Quit knocking Brett unless you can do better. Okay, so, that, so that's the standard, you know? Okay, no, I can't play quarterback in the NFL, but if you were at that Baltimore game, you'd wonder if Brett Hundley could play quarterback in the NFL. Like I say, maybe, maybe he might be okay someday, but he's not going to take the Packers to the Super Bowl. Got to be careful with that. Hey, another update on one of these stories. You, you've had the, the, this ongoing conflict between... These contractors at a city-owned site, remember it started last week where somebody gets all worked up over the fact that you have these three employees of a contractor who are on a job site and they've got guns with them and people want to see it in racial terms and they're just outraged. And To me, the real outrage was that instead of being upset that workers bring guns to the job site, it should be that the areas that they're working on in the city of Milwaukee are so damn dangerous that they need to bring guns. I'm just saying. But that's, of course, not something that the aldermen want to grapple with. So then what happens is after there's the whole flap over that, there's another picture taken One of the workers, for reasons that pass understanding, brings a cooler with a Ku Klux Klan sticker and a Confederate flag on it and puts it down. My guess is the worker was doing it to be provocative um, in response to the people that were all upset and playing the race card about the workers who brought the guns to the site. But regardless, stupid, stupid, stupid thing to do. So now the report is that this particular worker who brought the cooler with the Ku Klux Klan and Confederate flag stickers to the work site has been fired by American Sewer Services, um, which is the, the appropriate thing to do. You've got this kind of rogue employee. Here's where I want to caution people, though. Um, this, this, The company, you know, American Sewer Services, has been doing work for the city for 30-plus years years. Apparently, it's a pretty darn good company. I, first of all, don't fault the workers for bringing guns to the job site. Now, 
if that turns out to be really in violation of a city ordinance, and it's kind of questionable about that. But all right, I mean, I think the city has a right to make sure that contractors know their employees can't bring guns, even though I think the city should be more concerned with, again, the conditions that lead the contractors to feel that they need to protect their employees. But I digress. Um, but this idea, and you have several of these headline-seeking, race-baiting aldermen who are now saying, well, maybe what we need to do is we need to terminate the contracts with American Sewer Services. Well, all right, they fired the one employee who brought the lunch bucket or the cooler to work. And again, my guess is he was probably trying to be in-your-face provocative. It was stupid. He deserves to get fired. They've apparently disciplined or fired one of the one or two of the employees who brought the guns that's fine. But this idea that we're going to go after this company, give me a break. It's 128. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Less than a week remains until our Kids to Kids Christmas Christmas campaign is complete. This Friday, bring a new unwrapped toy to Panther Arena to watch the Admirals take on Iowa at 7 p.m., and you'll receive a buy one, get one ticket offer for a future Admirals game. Help those who need it this holiday season with Kids to Kids Christmas from WTMJ, the Salvation Army, and Capco Metal Stamping. And, of course, the, the big event, the final event, is this coming Saturday, which would be the 16th, at Capco from, I want to say, 9 to 2. I know it starts at 9. I think it runs until 2. I have to double-check that. But, you know, out at Capco, they have they, they take all the toys, and they set them up in their, in their facility, and they've got, you know, reindeer that are there, and they've got carolers. It's just, it's just a, a wonderful time. Um, as a matter of fact, I know lots of my family and friends are going to be up there, at least kind of taking it in. It, it's just a wonderful experience, and that is coming up this Saturday. You can bring, uh, again, new unwrapped toys, and we'll make sure that they get to uh, – less you know less privileged kids make their holidays a little bit brighter all right we have discussed this story once or twice before this is the it's the situation you had the lift driver who you might remember a couple weeks ago he gets called he picks up some people at uh in brookfield and he's asked to, to drive to the brookfield mall his story is he sees one of the guys with a gun and then um as a result you know, the guys get out of the car and, and run away. He uh, takes a firearm that he has with him, and he shoots four times at the guys. He has not been arrested, nor has he been charged. The four men who fled um, ran from the police. They are all suspects as part of a phone theft slash identity fraud ring um, that was operating. They believe these guys came from Michigan, um, again, to facilitate the, these various crimes. One of the four guys got caught by the cops. The other three, to my knowledge, are still in the wind. The guy who got caught, his mother, absolutely outraged. Her son, just completely innocent. She can't believe that, the, that this guy shot at, at her at her poor baby. And you know, he's he's just he's this innocent victim of the, this evil guy that's shooting, you know, at her son. And you know, her son's life matters and all that. Um, of course, the the three co-conspirators with her kid continue to uh, be in the wind all of them were trying to hide and avoid police i wasn't too terribly sympathetic but the lift driver gave an interview the other day with the channel 58 and what he has to say is is very interesting because there are there is a segment of the community that thinks that he should be charged with a crime and now let me back up too as anybody who has taken a concealed carry class knows 
you are only allowed to use deadly force, and deadly force would be firing a gun, you are only allowed to use deadly force in response to a legitimate fear that your life itself is is in danger. And when that danger ends, your ability to legally use deadly force ends, which is why, contrary to what you might see in the movies, it's why police do not shoot at people who are fleeing unless they are shooting back. Now, if you've got somebody who's running away and turn around shooting a gun, well, yes, then, then the police may, in fact, fire. But if somebody is running away from you, the police will not shoot them in the back. Um, that because their lives, they're not legally entitled to do that. Their lives are no longer in danger, at least under those circumstances. And that's the general rule. So Channel 58 tracks down the Lyft driver, and he gives an interview. And I, I want to just share with you some of the things that he says about this. Um, he says, look, in the heat of the moment, when you're put in that position, I want you to know how it feels. He's apparently an Army veteran as well. He still feels, this is what he says, he still feels threatened, um, and he wants people to know that he legitimately felt that he was in danger. He says there were several red flags before he made the decision to pull out his gun. One man called for a ride, but three others jumped in at the last minute when he arrived. They asked him how much money he made, and cha- now this is his story, and changed their destination to a darkened area behind a building. All right, the Lyft driver goes on. He says, and then there was a sound he heard from the back seat. That's when I heard a ping in the back seat. Metal on metal makes a distinct sound. I'm very familiar with that sound. I'm on high alert. I'm in survival mode. I'm thinking this is not good. In other words, I think he's saying that he kind of hears the sound of you know somebody, uh, again, charging a firearm. Um, when asked on Channel 58 if he saw a gun, the driver says, when I heard the ping, I looked in the rearview mirror. It looked like he was stuffing back in his coat. Um, at that point, the driver says he made a decision to drive towards a security car near the Brookfield Mall. His passengers were trying to get out of the car while it was moving, but not until he put the car in park did the doors unlock and all four bailed out. I got out at the same time they did. I turned around. I had my firearm concealed. I turned around. I already had a round chamber. I fired four shots downrange. I could have hit them easily. I didn't shoot to hit anyone. I wanted to scare the you-know-what out of them because I didn't want to get shot myself. When asked why he felt the need to open fire if they were running away, the driver says, when you're in that position and you're outnumbered by four, you want to make sure they get the message to keep running. Now, the mother of one of the one of the defendants that got caught says, my, my kids, my, they weren't armed. This guy was shooting at unarmed people. Now, we don't know that. We don't know that because they all ran away and three of them escaped police. So if there ever was a gun, now the one guy they caught, um, the one who was unlucky enough, I guess, to get caught by the police when there was the manhunt, he didn't have a gun with him, but he would have had an opportunity to dump it. And the other three, you know, if they were armed or not, we don't know because they didn't stick around uh, to discuss this matter. Okay, but that's what the Lyft driver says. He says, look, uh, essentially, I was outnumbered four to one. Um, I was uncomfortable. I believe they had a gun. I wanted to, I shot, I wanted to scare them off. Now, technically, this is not an appropriate use. It's not an appropriate use of a firearm. You, you only, 
you, you don't shoot to try to scare people off. But we live also in the real world. And again, I'm not sure that there's anybody that's going to be around to contradict this story because three of the four were in the wind. And even if they came back at this point in time and told a different story, who's going to believe them? Under these facts, even accepting that technically under the law, the Lyft driver should not have been firing at these people as they ran away, do you believe he should be charged with a crime? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. When this first story first broke, I, I admit, I, while conceding that what he did was outside the boundaries of the law, this was one of those situations where I thought, you know, if I'm the district attorney, I, I'm never going to be able to convince 12 members of a jury in Waukesha County that what this man did was guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Hearing his story, his description of events, and understanding that it's probably going to be uncontradicted, because, again, the only people that could contradict him are part of this phone theft ring, and three are in the wind. There's no way I charge this guy. Did Was what he did legal? No. Should he have fired shots? He says he fired shots in the air above their heads to scare them off. Should he have done that? No, he shouldn't have. Is this dangerous, firing shots in this fashion? Yes, it is. But at the same time, I'm not issuing charges against this man. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? Should he be charged with a crime? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 143. This is Jeff Wagner. 146, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I am. Um, th- there is the technical law. And, of course, everybody should follow the technical law. But then again, there is, is the reality. When you try to apply the facts in the real world, and that's why sometimes prosecutors have and use discretion. In the case of this Lyft driver who shot at the four guys who were running away from him, I think candidly this is a no harm no foul type of situation i would not charge him criminally now whether lyft wants to pull his ability to drive because they want to say that their drivers aren't allowed to have firearms that's a whole different story but as far as criminally charging him no way rich on the north side rich you're on wtmj hello hey jeff um you know i don't think he should be charged and i don't want to sound like a flake talking out of both sides of my mouth but it's a bad look. You, you can't do that. If everybody did that, we'd have people popping warning shots off all yeah. over the place. Yeah, right. I mean, I, I think and I, I, I agree with you. Know, he, he says, I'm an Army veteran. I knew where I was shooting. I was shooting downrange. I could have hit him. I didn't. Uh, I, I agree. People can't make that decision. Yeah. I'm, look, I'm sure he was terrified. I can only imagine. I, I carry. I'm carrying right now. But... Dude, you can't just discharge. That that is CCW one oh one. Especially if he's got his back to you. Right, right. I- exactly. No, I'm I'm with you. No, thanks. I mean, and again he and, and this is why uh, to me I see two issues. First of all, was the guy right? No, he wasn't right. The law in this case to me makes perfect sense. At the same time, I'm trying to picture the situation. Again, the story we have is the Lyft drivers, but the, the bad guys aren't around to contradict it. He says, hey, a guy called for a ride. All of a sudden, I get there. Four people jump in. They're asking me about how much money they make. They, I make. They're telling me they, they want to drive me to drive to this deserted area. And then I hear this distinctive noise, and I see some guy putting what I think is a gun back in the, in his, into, his, into his pants or whatever. Yeah, I understand why the guy is completely and totally free. 
freaked out. He says, hey, adrenaline takes over. What he did, I think, is clearly a technical violation of the law. But at the same time, under those circumstances, I think most people would take a look at that and say, well, he was wrong, but we understand why he did what he did. I don't think criminal penalties need to be taken. I don't think you need criminal penalties. Now, you change the facts a little bit. What if there's a bystander somewhere that he hits? Well, that's a different story. What if he hits one of these people? Okay, well, maybe that's a different story as well. I I don't know any of those things. I just know that based on what his description is, I think that there's going to be, if I'm the district attorney, I'm going to realize that, you know, this man... His behavior was wrong, and maybe his behavior violated the law, but there's no practical way that I'm going to ever be able to get a conviction. Okay, there's a text. Yes, he should be charged with a crime. The only threat was his intuition, and concealed carry teaches you, just like the police, that you don't pull a firearm unless to stop a threat coming at you, not running away from you. Poor judgment and his carry conceal permit should be taken away from him. Well, that's that's a whole different story. That's a different story than charging him with a crime and trying to get a conviction um, on this because candidly I just don't think you ever do it now Greg says he should be charged because the stray bullets could have hit killed someone yes they could have that's why what he engaged in was was bad judgment but but the stray bullets didn't hit or kill anybody so all right you 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 don't have a, a murder case here you do, I understand, sometimes issue charges because you want to, you know, quote, unquote, send a message. You want to have that kind of deterrent effect. But this is so fact-specific. I, I just don't, I don't see it. And in this case, I mean, really, who are, who are the victims here when you think about it? The victims are four guys who are part, allegedly, of an interstate phone slash identity theft ring who are in Milwaukee for the purpose of getting a bunch of cell phones to facilitate that. And three of the four of them, again, are in the wind running from the police. Okay, that's not exactly the type of situation that if I'm the district attorney, I want to bark into court because, you know, okay, my who's going to be my star witness? The one guy that they caught who's now been charged with all sorts of identity fraud related things? Huh. As a practical matter, that's not necessarily the way you want to go. Just saying. It's 151. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 154. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, coming up in about 12 minutes. CNN says the President of the United States is bullying them. They're bullying them. He's bullying them. We will discuss that. Governor Scott Walker signs a measure clearing the way for precious metal mining and um, a mom who puts her kid out there on Facebook is getting some heat. That is all coming up in the 2 o'clock hour of the program, so stick around. Uh, the Wisconsin Ethics Commission, headed by liberal lawyer, Dave, former, well, I guess he's currently a lawyer, former assistant city attorney David Hallbrooks, um, and the vice chair, Katie McCallum, who is a Republican, Hallbrooks a Democrat, they are, they are nitpicking with Brad Schimmel. Earlier this week, um, late last week, Brad Schimmel came out with that scathing report talking about how the Government Accountability Board, which was the predecessor of the, the Ethics Commission and the Elections Commission, essentially how out of control they were in the, the John Doe investigations, and they name names. Well, um, the, the current, a, a lot of the people that worked for GAB 
Um, they they didn't lose their jobs. It's sort of what happens once you get yourself molded into government. You just you kind of okay. Your agency goes away. You kind of then get squirreled in some other agency. And so the Ethics Commission, which is one of the two bodies that was created after the GAB, the Government Accountability Board, met its um, long overdue demise. You got the Ethics Commission. You got the Elections Commission. The Ethics Commission. They are upset that some things in the Schimmel report make them look bad. Um, they, they fault Schimmel for omissions in his report. And, of course, this is getting some headlines because you have to understand, the media in Wisconsin looks really, really bad because all the while these John Doe abuses were going on, the media, the newspapers in particular, were so obsessed with their anti-Walker, the, the Walker derangement syndrome, they wanted so bad for Scott Walker to be brought down that they essentially turned a blind eye when many of us were screaming about the, the Gestapo-style raids and, you know, the, the out-of-control investigation that actually started back when Walker was the county executive and he reported somebody for stealing um, money from a, a veteran's picnic that was being organized by the county. And that somehow morphed into this, we're going to be searching for thousands and thousands of records and we're going to be conducting all these different search warrants and things like that. Well, okay, the, the Ethics Commission, which is, again, the successor to the Government Accountability Board, but has a little bit of overlap, um, they have come out with uh, a letter uh, calling for Schimmel to um, clear up omissions and inaccuracies. Let, let me put it like this. I, I've read their objections. It is embarrassing to me that the Ethics Commission would whine like this about what are really – I don't know that it's omissions and inaccuracies. It, it's more like let's let's pick some nits and let's um, let's let's um, let's try not to make us look too bad. For example, in its letter, the Ethics Commission said that Schimmel failed to acknowledge major security improvements put in place after the GAB was dissolved in 2015. Okay, so it's not that. Well, okay, he, he didn't have a point about how lax the security was. He just didn't say that we've tried to make it better. Oh, give me a break. Um, new security protocol um, allows for the identification of Ethics Committee staff member who accesses data. Before that, it, it didn't. That, that's not really that it's an inaccuracy. It's just, well, you know, you, you made us look bad, and, and we don't deserve to look that bad. Um, let's see, the Ethics Commission also faults Schimmel for questioning why Ethics Commissioners and staff did not report a crime when the Guardian published the leaked documents. No one at the Commission had knowledge of the leaked documents before they were published and therefore could not have identified that a crime occurred, the letter said. Now, I read that report. What Schimmel was saying is after the thing was published, it was disturbing that nobody seemed to be upset that, gee, somebody had leaked documents. Again, I understand the way this is going to be presented. Wisconsin Ethics Commission faults Schimmel for emissions. In general, this is after-the-fact whining. And if this is what the Ethics Commission is going to be all about, well, I, I think it's pretty clear then that the Ethics Commission isn't going to be much better than the Government Accountability Board. Bottom line is we had rogue agencies behaving in a renegade fashion. And the fact that some people don't want to acknowledge that is perhaps the most troubling thing of all. Okay, when we come back, a lot of great stuff in the 2 o'clock hour of the program, including CNN has its feelings hurt. 
The governor allows mining. And would you have done the same thing if your kid had been bullied? Stick around. It's 159. 208, Jeff Wagner. So, Belinda. Yes. I violated one of my one of my prime rules. What um, did you A week do? ago Sunday. I allowed myself to get into an argument with an obviously over-served drunken woman in oh, a no. bar. Oh, no. Okay, well, now, now, this, all, this all leads up to here. This all, it's going, so, so it's, okay, it's a week ago Sunday. I'm sitting in this this cocktail lounge during the Packers game, all right? And I occasionally go there, meet a couple of my friends there. And there's this woman who, for all intents and purposes, it was an older woman, and I got the impression she'd probably, I assume they closed down the bar at some point in time, but you wouldn't have known it because I kind of got the idea that she'd been drinking for like a day or two. So she's, <laughs> she's sitting on the stool next to me, and she's in an argument with the bartender. The, the, the conversation goes something like this. Are you going to be open on Christmas Eve? And the bartender says, I don't know. And the woman says, well, it, it's it's a Saturday night. Of course you're going to be open. And the bartender says, I, I don't know. Now, I don't know why I decided at this point in time to get into this conversation. But, but Christmas Eve is a Sunday this year. Sunday the 24th. It is. It is not a Saturday. So for reasons that, because maybe I think I'm going to, now of course it doesn't change the overall thing about whether they're open Christmas Eve or not, but it's not a Saturday. I can't help myself. (laughs) So I I turn and I say, Christmas Eve is a Sunday. No, it's not. Okay, well where where do you kind of go from here? No, it's not. And I said, Yes, it is. <laughs> she said, I looked at a calendar, and, and it, it's it's on. It's Christmas Eve is on a Saturday, and Christmas is on a Sunday. So then I decide to try to reason. Now this is this is at this point in time, it's just kind of like you, you kind of turn your head. You should a reasonable person would kind of turn their head and go back, but but at the same time, this is not me. So I then try to work this out. All right. So I said, okay, today is Sunday the 3rd. Okay, seven days in a week. And I, I said, next Sunday is the 17th. Uh, that's the 3rd. The next Sunday is going to be the 10th. Then it's the 17th. And then it's the 24th. So if this is Sunday the 3rd, the 24th, which is Christmas Eve, has to be a Sunday. Now, I figure that is going to be just, you know, uncontrovertible logic, to which she kind of looks at me <clears throat> and says, I looked at a calendar. It's on Saturday, <laughs> at, <clears throat> at which point in time it's like, okay, let's all have another beer and kind of move on there. Now you And let her show up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and figure it out. <laughs> I, it's just, okay, and, and it, it, it's occurring to me in the back of my mind, I'm sitting there thinking, I don't give a rat's rump whether this woman is drinking on Christmas Eve or not. Why am I arguing with her about what day of the week it is? Uh-huh. And, and how, but, but now this, is all, this all leads up to something. Because people have been asking me, Belinda, when our holiday radio show is going to be rebroadcast. When when, is it? When can you hear it? Well, see, your first opportunity to hear it is going to be this Saturday, December 16th, from 3 to 5 p.m., and then Sunday the 17th from 7 to 9 p.m. So we're playing it twice this weekend on Saturday the 16th and Sunday the 17th. Sounds good to me. And then, in case this lady is listening, (laughs) okay, the next week, we are playing it, you can hear it twice on Christmas Eve, Sunday, December 24th, 2 to 4, and then um, 4 until 6, 
And then Monday, which is Christmas Day, we play at 8 to 10 and 2 to 4. So I, I just, I'm afraid this woman might otherwise want to listen to our Christmas broadcast, but she's going to be all screwed up because she's going to be thinking that Christmas Eve is Saturday. Well, it sounds like she's just a little screwed up anyways. I think she was overserved. That's okay. I was over, and, and I am thinking, I, I, it was, it was one, I was having one of these out-of-body experiences because <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, it's the middle of the Packers game. I'm arguing with this drunken older, and I'm trying to do math. That that's it. I'm trying third, tenth, seventeenth, twenty fourth. I I clearly I think I lost her. You know, by the time we we added three and seven to get to the ten, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm sure I kind of lost her. But hey, not everyone's good at math. Not everyone's good at math, especially after you know you you've had a quarter Jack Daniels. You know, it's just kind of <laughs> it all works out. But in any event, that is a so in case that lady's listening, this Saturday the sixteenth, three to five. Sunday the 17th, 7 to 9 p.m. for our holiday Christmas show. It was really great. So, and there you go. There you go. All right. Let us switch gears. Yes, that was me. And, and, and my wife says, you were arguing with this drunken woman in a bar? I said, well, I wasn't really arguing. I was trying to be helpful. And next thing I know, I got drawn into the argument. She was arguing with the bartender about, you're not going to be open. or you got to be open on Christmas Eve. It's a Saturday night. And just kind of got kind of sucked in there. Just, just my message should be let it go. All right. Speaking of of being able to let it go, I admit that I am more than a little amused at, at the ongoing battle between the president of the United States and the major news networks um, and their their reaction. Um, the the truth is, I don't think you can find collectively, and I'm talking in generalities now, collectively, I don't think you can find a more thin-skinned group of people than, quote-unquote, professional journalists. They don't like having their work questioned. They don't like having their ethics. They don't like question. They don't like being accused of bias. And if you talk to a lot of them, they've never, ever, ever made a mistake when, in fact, we're all human and we all make mistakes. Well, last week... There were a series of huge mistakes, big deal mistakes, that the mainstream media made in connection with trying to cover President Trump. You had, of course, the Brian Ross story on on ABC where they breathlessly report that um, President Trump had instructed former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn to reach out to Russians um, during the campaign. Now, of course, if that was the case, it would have perhaps provided fuel to believing that the Trump had conspired with the Russians to try to influence the election. After that report came out, a New York Times columnist tweeted, President Pence, here we come. Stock market plunged. Well, ABC had to retract the report because, as it turns out, um, the fact was that Trump had directed uh, directed Flynn to, to yeah to reach out to the Russians, but after the election, which is something that I think is completely and totally appropriate. Hey, I'm going to be the next president of the United States. I want to hit the ground running. Let's let's start opening up lines of communication. Big difference in timing. Then, of course, you had the CNN story that we talked about yesterday about how I mean CNN again was talking about impeachment. They they report that Donald Trump Jr. received this email saying, hey, here's this huge document file that WikiLeaks is going to be coming up with, um, and it's going to have all these emails about the Clinton campaign. The report was that Donald Trump Jr. got that on September 4th. The leak 
didn't actually get made public till the 13th. So the implication was, hey, nine days before the leak, there's somebody with inside knowledge who's soliciting the Trump campaign. Boom, you know, this is the collusion. Well, CNN got it wrong. They got it wrong. The email to Donald Trump Jr. was on September 14th, a day after the leaks had been made public. So you just had some Yahoo saying, hey, look what's just out in the public record. You guys should really look at it. Big, big difference. And then there's been other stories. Bloomberg, about the same time, reporting that Robert Mueller had subpoenaed Trump Trump records from Deutsche Bank. Um, Turns out that that was false. So you've got one story after another. That's wrong in a material way. And, of course, then you've got the president that plays this up. So over the weekend, they do a huge, huge – the New York Times does this huge story about um, life in the White House. And, you know, I read it. And I, I don't know it, – it, I thought it was reasonably balanced. I, I mean, it, it kind of – it, it, it captures the Trump persona, and I, I thought it was a reasonably balanced story. Anyhow, well, President Trump didn't like it. He sends out a report. Another. This is what he says on his Twitter account. Another false story, this time in the failing New York Times, that I watch four to eight hours of television a day, wrong. Also, I seldom, if ever, watch CNN or MSNBC, both of which I consider fake news. I never watch Don Lemon. The report, Don Lemon is one of the CNN like hosts, um, and he's very, very critical of Trump. This report said Trump will watch Don Lennon, Don Lennon get all, Lemon and get all worked up. Uh, so Trump tweets, I never watch Don Lemon, who I once called the dumbest man on television. Bad reporting. He sends that tweet out. CNN decides that it is going to respond to that tweet. So CNN immediately issues a statement accusing Trump of bullying this anchor. In a world where bullies torment kids on social media to devastating effect on a regular basis with insults and name-calling, it is sad to see our president engaging in the very same behavior himself. Leaders should lead by example. Um, Former CNN political analyst Jeff Greenfield um, immediately starts mocking CNN. Unless Don Lemon is a lot younger than he appears to be, this is a tone-deaf overreach. From what I've seen, Lemon, unlike bullied kids whose school officials ignore the issue, is more than capable of standing up for himself. This almost infantilizes him. Infantilizes him. Um, Stephanie Miller texts, CNN just compared themselves to a crying kid in a car, and they think that's the high road. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you think President Trump's treatment of the media is unfair is he picking on them too much um when they report stories incorrectly or get things wrong and he immediately goes on the offensive to label it as fake news is that being is that being a bully or is this just what happens when you have i think a a mainstream media deep in what we would call Trump derangement syndrome, who is clearly out in a race to see who could be the first to break that piece of news which leads to the impeachment of the president. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm not sure it's good for the country that you have a, a mainstream media that is so, so wrapped up in trying to bring down a president. 
I'm not sure it's good for the country that you have a president who's so thin-skinned that he feels a need to respond to every little thing that he sees, both big and little, in the, in the media that is critical of him. So I'm not sure any of this is good. But having said that, I'm not sorry to see the mainstream media get taken down a peg. I think, candidly, if you want to avoid charges of fake news, it's real simple. Don't put out fake news. Are you sorry for the media? 414-799-1620. Is President Trump bullying them? That's what CNN claims. It's 220. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Bullying them. Really? 223, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You can now listen to WTMJ on your Amazon device. From news and weather updates, the latest out of Lambeau, your favorite show's podcast, maybe that would be mine, and so much more. It's now available with the simple phrase, Alexa, open WTMJ. For more information and easy setup instructions, I have done it. That tells you how easy it is. Text the word Alexa, A-L-E-X-A, to 414-799-1620, or you can simply go online to WTMJ.com. We will make it simple for you. 414-799-1620. I I thought CNN's response was ridiculous. All right, so, you know, President Trump going after the New York Times. He disagrees with something that was in a big story they had this weekend. And he says, "I." they say I listen to Don Lemon, who's a CNN host. I don't listen to him. I, I've already said I think he's the dumbest man on television. Okay, now if I were Don Lemon, I would wear that as a badge of honor. The president, the president claims that I'm the dumbest man on television. I'd wear that as a badge of honor. It's like, crew, you weren't working for me then. But, but years ago, the... Um, First time there's this there's this industry publication and I, I made their list of hundred most influential talk show hosts in the country. Don't know how they figure that out, but this was the first time I, I, I made the list four or five years ago. And some some left national lefty group got on got on this and, and they, they did this thing and they talked about how that the story was Jeff Wagner, the most dangerous man in talk radio. And, and what they described me as, they said, okay, well, he's not like a lot of people on conservative talk radio who's screaming and yelling. He's, he's rational, and he appears to be well-reasoned, and he's soft-spoken, and, and you find yourself listening to him and agreeing him. He's, they, they called me the evil Mr. Rogers. Well, I could have gotten upset about that. I have worn that as a label proudly. You know, I am, I am proud of the fact that I am the evil Mr. Rogers. Hey, boys and girls, let's sit down and reason about this. I, I am proud of that. If I were Don Lemon and I had the president calling me the dumbest man in America, I would embrace that, make fun of it, wear it as a mantle. This is the guy telling me, this is the man saying I'm the dumbest guy. It's like, that's it. And this is advice coming from the evil Mr. Rogers. Okay, it, it works out. But, of course, CNN gets, to, oh, this is terrible. He's being a bully. Oh, give me a break. Joe in Oak Creek. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi, Joe. Um, I think where the problem is, is I've watched Don Lemon a bunch of times, and he seems to instigate the problem. Mm-hmm. Whenever there's any kind of comments, he attacks, he criticizes, he goes out of his way to always find something wrong in the Trump administration. Huh. But the second they say anything back in return, then their feelings are hurt, then they're thin-skinned. If you're gonna if you're gonna dish it out, then you should be able to take it also in return. Well, it doesn't well, matter what the point of view is; they always find the wrong. And they never want anything to be said against them. Well, you know, you you raise an interesting point. There's a um, there's a story in today's New York Post, and it, and it talks about it, it says the new media standard it too anti-Trump to check, and, and and it tries to explain why there's so many 
wrong stories that are out there. And it's because guys like Don Lemon hate, hate the president. They want to bring down this administration. So there's almost this rush. You get a story that's too good to be true. Oh, this is going to be the one that leads to impeachment. Oh, and everybody wants to be the one that breaks it. So they rush these stories in, and they turn out to be wrong a lot of times. Well, you can even see it when they're interviewing, when they have different people that they're interviewing on their show. If the person that they're interviewing goes along with their, with their point of view, they give them all the time in the world to speak their piece and to make their point. But anybody who may offer something that's counter to what they believe, they cut, they cut them off, they interrupt because they don't want to hear them out. And because they don't hear them out, they're not able to at least see both sides of the issue or the argument. Yeah. No, I They're think very tunnel vision. They have their blinders on. Well, right, Joe, and, and I think see, and, and, and you're right. Now, look, you could say, well, Jeff, you know, you 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 run a talk show. I mean, you you have an opinion, and, and but but there is a difference. I am not purporting my. I I mean, you you tune into me, my show, to hear my opinion on things, and we discuss different issues, and there's stuff like that. But again, these so-called journalists, you know, when you're when when you're talking about the New York Times or the Washington Post, and I'm I'm not talking about the columnists. Columnists do what I do. They state opinions. I'm not talking about the editorial writers. They, again, they do what I do. They express opinions. But what you found is, I, I think pretty clearly, that those that opinion-based journalism has found its way into the newspapers, and it certainly found its way into the television reports. You know, and again, everybody wants to be Woodward Bernstein. Everybody wants to bring down this president, and that's what we're in a rush for. Hey, I'm Brian Ross. I've got this story that's out there. I, I've got a source that says that you know that Michael Flynn it was at the direction of um, at the direction of Donald Trump. You know, met with the Russians. You know, before the election. That's a big deal. Well, it turns out to be wrong. They don't vet these things because they want it to be so right. The same thing's true with CNN. Oh, we've got the smoking gun. Donald Trump Jr. was offered all the WikiLeaks stuff nine days before it was made public. Oh, this is this huge story. This is going to lead to collusion. Get ready with the congressional hearings. Well, it turns out, no, it was actually not the 4th of September. It was the 14th. But they're so anti-Trump that they just don't want to get it right. And that's what leads to the allegations of fake news. And I, I'm sorry, um, President Trump is many things, and he might be a bully, but him him fighting back against the CNNs of the world, tough for me to see CNN as a victim. It's 229. This is Jeff Wagner. 236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ to the Packers, and now have a legitimate shot at the playoffs. Voice of the Packers, Wayne Larrabee, joins John McCure with some perspective. That is 320 today on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Be sure to check that out. All right. If you're a regular listener to this program, you know that I, I confess that among my many vices, I am a fan of junk TV. You know, I mean, I, I, I like to watch Swamp People. Okay. I, I mean, a bunch of guys, you know, are, you know, in the Louisiana Bayou trying to catch, you know, alligators. I don't know why I find it fascinating, but I do. I watch the deadliest catch, the, you know, the people, you know, trying to catch crab out of the Bering Sea. And, and probably my favorite junk TV show is one that airs on the Discovery Channel called Gold Rush that follows these sort of, well, in one, one group is happily. But they follow a group of, of different, these different groups that go and they want to make their fortune by mining. And there, there's one group that kind of has, has been in all sorts of different places and they always sort of screw up. And then there's a, some young kid who's been doing this since he was a kid. And he's, he's actually, he's very, 
opinionated, but he's doing okay. And then there's a mining legend. Anyways, it's on Friday nights. I love it. It's so on Friday nights at 8 o'clock. My, my wife just, again, rolls her eyes going, okay, really? You, you want to build your Friday night around watching this Gold Rush show? Well, I, I, okay, I like it. And I admit I'm kind of fascinated by the mining process. Also, one of the things that's interesting is how hard the, these people have to work. I mean, mining is a very, very labor-intensive way to to make a living and it's very very expensive as well so i mean what what they show on the show is that okay yeah you you just you just th- this week you know you got x ounces of gold and it's worth like 1.2 million dollars or whatever but they don't tell you how much they had to spend in materials and costs and gasoline and all that stuff to get it it, it looks to me like it's a very hard way to make a living but i admit i'm kind of fascinated by by this and there are i mean the show started out following people who mine in Alaska. Now one of the groups, they're down in Colorado and they're mining. They're not doing very well at that, but they tried mining in Oregon. You know, you can you can mine pretty much anywhere where there are deposits that you know might make it attractive to do that. Plus, what's going on now is mining, the technology sort of developed over the last hundred plus years. And so you, you can do it, number one, in a more environmentally sensitive way. Number two, you can do it in a more efficient way. If you take a look at the flag of the state of Wisconsin, you will see a miner on it. Now, the one thing you won't see, at least you haven't seen over largely the last two decades in Wisconsin, is any actual miner. And that's because in the late 1990s, uh, the legislature passed this bill, which essentially made it impossible under the law to mine in Wisconsin. The law said that a mining company, before you could open a mine, would have to show that there's another mine in the United States or Canada that operated for at least 10 years and then was closed for 10 years without pollution. I mean, essentially, it was it was an impossible standard to meet. And despite the fact that particularly up north in some of the northernmost counties, um, there's all sorts of suggestions that there's precious metals, the gold, the gold, silver, things like that. You haven't the companies have not legally been allowed to mine. Well, what happened yesterday is the governor signed a bill that was, you know, approved by the legislature, which would, with appropriate restrictions, essentially remove this ban on mining. And as a result, there's at least the anticipation is that there's going to be a number of companies and there's still you still have to jump through all sorts of hoops. You can't just my producer grew and I just can't go out tomorrow and, and start mining at some place, you know, in in up north. But now, at least, you know, there is a process that will effectively allow people to do that. Now, a number of environmentalists are upset. They think, oh, the fact that we're going to allow mining, this means that the environment is just going to be completely and totally destroyed. I don't believe, and I guess I I stand willing to be corrected, but I don't believe that there was another state in the country that had as restrictive regulations when it came to mining as that we do in Wisconsin, or at least that we did in Wisconsin. You do have mining that goes on in our neighboring states because there's valuable minerals that are there to be mined. In addition, if you want to look at the the economic boom that I think Wisconsin has been going through and will certainly go through with Foxconn down here in southeastern Wisconsin, that boom really hasn't touched a lot of, of the area up north. You've got 
your your print your two principal industries should be tourism and, and mining, but because of this law, you, you haven't had mining, and as a result, you've had a lot of communities, a lot of people in these communities, just moving away because there's not the opportunities that's out there. So let's tee this up four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I I. I am as opposed to, you know, foul air and dirty water as anybody. I I am. But at the same time, you know, when it comes to minerals, when it comes to precious metals, there is a desire for them. And the desire for those minerals um, leads to jobs because you need people to operate the mines. You need people to drive the trucks. You need people to get the stuff out of the ground. I think that what we are doing now, when we go back and talk about what the governor's been saying, that Wisconsin is open for business, I think mining, or at least making it easier to mine up north, I think is going to be great for the state, and I think it's going to particularly be great for some of these areas which have been economically depressed for Lord knows how long. So I guess here's the question. Should we have essentially kept the ban on mining to try to keep Wisconsin pristine, or was this the right step to take? I think this was the right step to take, and I actually think it's long overdue. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's two forty three. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Two forty five. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Josh in Milwaukee. Josh, you're first. Hello. Hi. Hi, Josh. And um. Apparently, tourism industry isn't very important because that's very disruptive. For the whole boom in the north is the natural environment and the push that Wisconsin's this wonderful natural. Uh, <clears throat> People go up there for nature. Okay, it's not to go have a mine, uh, go see a mine. I find it's very destructive, and it's. Republicans are underselling the environmental damage that'll happen. Well, but so but you mine all. I mean, I guess I don't accept your premise. They they we mine in Oregon. They mine in Colorado. They mine in Minnesota. They mine in Michigan. They mine all over the country. Um, do those states not care about the environment? Are we going to do it differently in Wisconsin and be more destructive than everybody else is? Well, I mean, you say that, but it it again is is it a positive impact? I don't think so. What why do we need these jobs up north for some? It isn't, and that's an overstated number of jobs. Also, I mean, mm-hmm. you need engineers maybe and a few drivers, but it was, isn't like going to be this huge boom. Well, it's it's not going to be like Foxconn, but aside from tourism, there's not much there. But I guess the the, the bottom line is: are, are you just opposed to mining? And do you think we should be shutting down mines in Minnesota and Michigan and Alaska and all these other places? I believe in limiting it. Well, okay. I think. I mean, see, I guess that that's the. I, I don't know where we go with this because you want to say limiting it. I mean, there, there's always a we we need metals, okay? You you need the the metals, and and mining is something that goes back you know hundreds of years. You know, we we need. It's sort of like when when people you know object to you know the ways that to fracking and things like that. Okay, we we need gasoline. We found more efficient ways to you know, remove these minerals. We essentially have energy independence now when it comes to gasoline because we've developed these things with with fracking. And in Wisconsin, you know, we we need this. They use the sand when they go out and and they do you know fracking the way they extract the the oil and all. And I guess I just I look at this and the the premise and I think there's hysteria 
on the part of these environmentalists, with all due respect. This idea that, oh my gosh, you're not going to be able to have you know mining in this vast area of the state because it's going to completely and totally destroy the environment. Well, okay, we need these various resources, plus taking these resources brings jobs. Now, I do think that the government has a role in trying to make sure that we're going to be, you know, good stewards of, of the environment. That we're going to handle this in a in a responsible fashion. But this idea that, oh, you know, you, you, you can't mine, this is going to be terrible. I mean, one of the greatest examples of this is the Ladysmith mine. Um, you want to talk about a, a mine that operated for years uh, with Little or no significant environmental damage. I know that there were some people who said, oh, this has been terrible. But, you know, big picture, if you look at it objectively, very, very little environmental problems. And that is years and years after the thing closed as well. Now, I get it that there's some people out there who are just haters. Okay, we, we, you, you can't have this. This has to be pristine. You know, it's, it's got to be vacant. We know we've got these resources, but, you know, we want acres and acres and acres and hundreds of thousands of acres that are just untouched. Well, I think you have to be able to figure out a balancing. And I believe that just this moratorium where we essentially said we're not going to allow it, that was, I think, absurd. Now, that isn't to say, and here is my rational approach, that isn't to say that you don't want appropriate regulation. That isn't to say that if you've got a company that comes in and wants to set up a sulfite mine, um, that you're not going to say, all right, what are you going to do with the tailings? What are you going to do with the groundwater pollution? You know, how are you going to do this? How are you going to deal with the acid rock drainage? All these different issues that are out there. It's fair to ask them and to make sure that they've got the controls that are in place. But it's just like, it's just like the people that object to fracking. It's just like the people who object to let's go drill for oil. It's just like the people who object to the pipelines. All right, the, the truth of the matter is, unless we're all going to live in caves or tents, you're going to need you need these different types of resources, and they bring jobs. And like I say, it's a balancing act that goes on. Um, you know, that's that's the the basic idea. And when you talk about again tourism, look, there, there's lots of underutilized and underutilized land. You know, in the in the northern part of this state, and I think most people in those communities. Um, are of the point of view of saying, hey, you know, we'd like to have economic opportunities. This is home for us, but, you know, our kids move away because they don't, there's nothing here for them to do, and we'd like to keep the kids around. I mean, that's what I think is one of the keys there, and as long as you can do it in a responsible fashion, I think that it's, it's fine. Now, 20 years from now, I guess we'll see, because you still have to prove that there's enough before it's economically viable. You have to prove that there's going to be enough you know, minerals that you're going to be able to take out. And I don't know about that, but I think this is a positive step. Okay, before John McCure comes in, I want to switch gears. I just want to point out one thing. If you are a regular listener of this program, you know one of the things that drives me crazy is the fact that the cops catch people and then... We turn them loose, the court system either on ridiculously low bails before they're actually brought to trial or on ridiculously low sentences after they're brought to trial, and the people reoffend. Now, Channel 6 had this story. Here is the way it works. 38-year-old Colin Jacobs of Milwaukee faces one count of first-degree sexual assault of a child. 
and one count of kidnapping. According to the criminal complaint, police spoke with the 12-year-old victim's mother, who indicated her daughter had run away from home sometime late on November 30th or early on December 1st. She later learned from her sister that the girl had been located outside the home of an unknown man. The mother's sister was interviewed by police, and she indicated she was taking her children to school in the morning December 1st when she noticed um, her niece, who she knew had run away, in front of the home of an unknown man, later identified as Colin Jacobs. She said she parked and approached her niece and observed Jacobs to be dragging her by the hood of her jacket towards a gas station near 27th and Burleigh. She she said she yelled to her niece, who then ran up to her and said she'd been raped. The victim's aunt said she tried catching up with the suspect but was unable to. The victim was interviewed by police. This is 12 years old. She said she'd run away from home, was near 26th and Burleigh, sometime between 2 and 8 a.m. She was approached by a man who asked how old she was. She said she was 12 and walked, and he walked away, reapproaching her an hour later, asking if she wanted to go somewhere with him for $100. When she told him no, she got he got mad dragged her by the hoodie to a house at 27th and Burleigh. She identified Jacobs as the suspect via photo array. The complaint indicates the victim said she tried to get away, but Jacobs pulled out a gun, said he wasn't going to hurt her just yet. He then took her into the home and sexually assaulted her with a gun to her head, telling her that if she did this, she would be allowed to go home. She's 12 years old. She's raped at gunpoint. That's what her story is. The guy is 38 years old. Okay, why do I bring this up in this context? He's a registered sex offender on GPS monitoring. A registered sex offender on GPS monitoring is out there grabbing 12-year-old girls in the middle of the night, and at least if these allegations are true, sexually assaulting them at gunpoint. What the hell is the value of GPS monitoring if... There's not going to be a control over a guy like this who, by the way, has a criminal record as long as my arm. And he's out on the streets, middle of the night, in a position to grab and at least allegedly sexually assault a 12-year-old girl at gunpoint. His GPS data showed he was in the area near 27th and Burleigh at the time of the alleged sexual assault, which is where she says it occurred. Well, that's really good. We've got the GPS monitoring as he's roaming the streets in the middle of the night, allegedly looking for 12-year-olds to rape. Huh. Merely makes you feel confident in this system that we have that turns loose these sexual predators. It's 254. John McCure and Melissa Barkley are in next. We'll find out what they have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around.